0: hey you're listening to 101 part-time jobs i'm giles bidder and i speak to some amazing guests about their unexpected careers in music at the end of the day there's never going to be a set trajectory about how an artist Makes their music their living. So that's what I'm trying to do here. That's what I find interesting. I hope you share that with me. You and me, we get to hear about these artists. Amazing, often unheard stories. They're not superheroes, they're humans like us. That's what I find great about this whole thing. And we get that on today's episode with E from Eels. I introduced myself to Eels when I was young and bought a seven inch because I recognized the name and I liked the cover and I never turned back his songwriting has such a warming comforting value and chances are if you're listening to this you share that connection you share that feeling and it's a wonderful time for it as well coming up to christmas it can get lonely it's a painful time of the year for a lot of people and music is the thing to save us from that to save us from the edge to put to talk us down often in those kinds of scenarios so it's brilliant that eels have a brand new christmas song out christmas why you got? do me like this it's called even the title you know it's gonna be a good one rhyming christmas with this yeah big fan e tells us about essential eels volume two Eels so good which i'm very pleased about as a title and this chat is all about e's journey as a songwriter and in the music business so that's what's coming up Thank you for joining us. I just want to shout out our sponsor, 2000 Trees Festival. They've just won the Best Medium Festival Award in the UK pretty amazing stuff they are an independent festival where they've got totally independent retailers you go there you have a brilliant feeling you see some incredible bands from folk and acoustic all the way through rock and punk to hardcore if you want to go to a festival in the UK next July 2000 trees could be the one it should be the one give it a look 2000trees.co.uk tickets right now before the end of the year are at 30% off the cheapest they'll ever be it's a wednesday through to saturday you even get the sunday off they're very conscientious these 2000 trees folk for people who need a day or two to recover like me maybe like you 2000trees.co.uk is where you can get your ticket it's being headlined on the thursday by the gaslight anthem they're yet to announce the other headliners but definitely playing our manchester orchestra boston manor hot mulligan the excerpts, the Misterines gouge away, teenage wrist, and that's only the first announcement. Loads more to come from 2000 Trees. Head to 2000trees.co.uk to get your tickets, the cheapest they'll ever be. Okay, before we get into this chat, I've got Rebecca from Ampolo here. Ampolo is the first all in one app connecting a global community of musicians and bringing in an all in one place to practice, record, and collaborate. Until now, practicing has been kind of lonely. There's been technical barriers. These are all things that Ampolo is working to make your life better for. Isn't that right, Rebecca? What's going on over there? Interestingly, we've been
1: having lots of conversations with students and teachers and universities and colleges and there's this big push of people wanting to use it as part of their curriculum to accelerate learning and change the way that music is taught. You're able to talk to each other in real life within the same project so forget about jumping back to WhatsApp and emails and things like that. I can watch back your performance and say that bit was great this bar needs a bit more practice so we've been getting feedback that Ampollo is a total game changer for music education and it's so much easier using this
0: than using multiple apps and jumping around to communicate with each other so it's a really exciting space. Ampollo get on it sooner than later okay here he is the guy with all the eelings it's E from Eels. Yeah. How, how have you been? What's, uh, what's it been like the last few days releasing the new Christmas track?
2: Oh, well, it's fun because we have two previous um, Christmas tunes, but it's been ages since either of those came out. One of them came out in like 1997, I think, and the other one came out in 2000, just like a few years later. So it's been at least 23 years since we had a Christmas tune. And um, I'm very aware of the rule that any artist worth his salt should have at least three Christmas tunes in his catalog. And I apologize to the fans everywhere, (laughs) Christmas fans, the elves Mm -hmm. and the reindeers that – I took me this long to just reach the bare minimum.
0: I mean, it's, it's a bold move, isn't it? Putting out a Christmas tune, Christmas tune. Have you, did you ever have any kind of anxiety or, or, or worry, or was there, was there that feeling where you're like, if I'm going to make a Christmas tune, it's, it's, it's got, it
2: better be, it better be a fucking good one. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I think more often than not, people put out covers of Christmas Mm. classics. And the classics are always growing because now, you know, stuff from like just 20 years ago could be considered a classic. So Mm -hmm. it it is bold to come up with your own. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, I mean, you
0: have such a great voice and such a great tone for it. You know, I I mean, the way that I got into the Eels in my early 20s, where I was going through so much of that kind of growing pain, uh, learning to stand on my own two feet and paying rent and getting into relationships, some of which lasted longer than others, eels for me. And I think that this is what you do in your songwriting for so many people is you provide a friend. And I think in a time like Christmas, which can be a really lonely time for a lot of people, similarly to the, to the, to the movie, to the film, to the, to the songs that you've done for movies, like Yes Man and like Shrek, where we are thrust into that feeling of the vulnerability of someone eels is a really brilliant companion for it
2: well thanks well i am really happy to hear that i mean on the surface this is a very much it's very much a bummer christmas song this new one it's called um, christmas why you got to do me like this yeah <laughs> and and uh, but my whole point is i want to I've had plenty of great Christmases in my life, and I think most of my childhood Christmases were actually good memories that I remember. Maybe I blocked out some really bad ones, but we'll do. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, but I still think you know, there's nothing like having a miserable <laughs> holiday season. Whatever your holidays are that you celebrate, there's, and, and there's something about you know, like for some reason, like couples always break up on like birthdays or Valentine's day or Christmas, you know? And the worst of course, is when you've bought some expensive Christmas present mm-hmm. for your partner. And then they break up with you right before Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't return it it's too late mm-hmm. you because know? <laughs> you bought it too early or something. You know, but, yeah. like I want to write songs for people like that sometimes, not always, you know, but, but people like that, I've been there. We've all been there. And, um, it's, I also think of it as like, uh, you know, Tiny Tim before Ebenezer Scrooge sees the light and buys them Christmas dinner, and brings home the, the duck or whatever he, he puts on the table. You know, w- something for Tiny Tim's mood before everything gets better because he doesn't mm-hmm. see that coming anytime soon. So here's a song for Tiny Tim before Ebenezer Scrooge sees the light. Do you have
0: particular times in the year that you'll end up writing more than others? And of course, that's something that you'll find out afterwards. You know, in retrospect, you'll realise, oh, I was writing more songs in, you know, October, November, December, when it starts to get that time of year, or or maybe in the spring. We're both Aries, by the way. I'm 8th of April. You're the day after.
2: Oh, you're uh, Julian Lennon's birthday. Is that right? Yeah. He was born literally, he was born literally two days before me, same year.
0: Do do you think you carry those traits of an Aries, which are what? Someone who's quite up for it, let's say, and someone who's ambitious and enthusiastic and doesn't mind, you know, sending it.
2: I don't think I do. I don't think I do carry those things because I am of a firm belief that that's not how the world works and that those things aren't a thing. (laughs) You know, I'm very much, I'm much more science based than that, you know? So, I, I don't mm-hmm. believe that that has anything to do with it. Also, I live in Los Angeles now, and this, I can't say it's like I notice a seasonal influence on my writing because there's barely any seasons here. Like, you can tell it's Los Angeles' version of winter right now, which is nothing like what you experience winter as. You know? And I grew up in Virginia, on the other side of America, and we did have four distinct seasons, and they were all extreme and I missed that; it was great. And, and back then, I remember, like in my teens and early twenties, before I moved from Virginia, I definitely felt like a, a influence from the seasons uh, mm-hmm. that influenced everything. Really, you know, I, I could mark everything in my life based on it. Really.
0: Do you remember that time of those earlier years, writing and and how you were into it? I mean, that's one thing I'd love to do on this show is to hear about the way that people create their own discipline and you know at some point in their life identify as someone who cares more about writing music and being an artist than anything else and I think you know this world is is full of um pressures and you know you go to school and you're told you should do this should do that I'm really interested in the um in 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 the sort of saying no to that into into the defiance of that so what were you like kind of coming out of school and getting into writing as a as a, a a discipline
2: well, that all really applies to me in a strong way because when I was young and a, and a teenager, I had no plans or hopes for the future for some reason I didn't think I was going to live long for some reason, I thought I wasn't going to live to see 18 even I don't know why I just had that and um, and then it was I was 18 and I got out of, I barely graduated high school it wasn't because i was dumb it was because i just wasn't interested you know it just Mm. was boring to me for the most part and um most of my friends were going off to college and i hadn't prepared for any of that i didn't know what to do i had literally no plan and i just went to college with some of my friends to because i I didn't know what else to do so i just went Mm. and um i really didn't like it You know, I made some good friends, and I had uh, some fun times, but for the most part, I was quite unhappy and miserable with it all. And I ended up going to almost four full years of college, and then right towards the end of it, I just said, you know, what am I doing? Like, all I really have a passion for is music, and I know it's insane, and I know... Like the odds of me making a living, doing something with music, are slim. But I don't want to do anything else. I, you know, I don't mm-hmm. care if I fail. It's it's this or nothing. So mm-hmm. I quit school and I uh, moved to L.A. I, I kind of tossed a coin uh, between New York and L.A. Those are the two places to move if you wanted to be in like centers of, of where music stuff could happen um and uh yeah well really I picked LA because it was further away I just wanted to get away as far as possible this was very far away it was you know all the way across the country and I just mm-hmm. packed up my four track and my acoustic guitar and whatever else I had in my car and drove 3000 miles across America I didn't know a single person in California and uh just had the worst time for three years, miserable, but let this be hopefully uh, some sort of inspiration for anyone who's in the, the similar shoes is after three years of no hope, I mean, a lifetime of no hope. I mean, I I was at this point, I was 28, you know, it's it because it took so long in my twenties to decide to move to LA and pursue music seriously and then it took another 3 years or so of just spinning my wheels trying you know really trying hard to get somewhere you know I, I would do what they called the Nashville handshake and every time I met anyone that had anything to do with the music industry I would shake their hand and have a my latest little four track cassette demo and and I later learned <laughs> From a guy who became my first manager that was known as the nashville handshake and um <laughs> eventually after three years of nashville handshaking i gave someone the handshake who responded in kind and uh it led to me getting my first record deal and then you know even then i mean that was like just an unbelievable you know let's take a moment to just bask in the glory of like mm-hmm. that's the impossible happened like and i could not have been happier i was able to quit my job just barely it was a small record deal and it was for two records so uh but unfortunately like the week that my second album came out i got dropped from the label and was back to okay. square one so that right. was that was r- particularly painful to feel at that point when when you finally got the 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 brass ring and then you lose it is a particular intense pain you know and then yeah and then that led to another two or three years uh of starting over again and nashville handshaking and you know in various ways then amazingly lightning struck again for me and, and i got another record deal that was the yield
0: 101 part-time jobs. 101 101 101 Part Time Jobs 101 Part Time Jobs is what this show is called. And that there I've
2: for had, is I've had at least 99 of them.
0: <laughs> still some time to go.
2: Yeah, I still there's still room for at least two more.
0: <laughs> but it takes one of the things that I'm so interested in is is it how much it takes some um to to get through times like that. I'm lucky in that my mum's an author and she when I was a teenager was when she got signed for her first book. Before that she was doing magazine journalism. Wow. That's cool. And so I watched her become this thing that she always wanted to do. She always wanted to write books. People around her weren't very encouraging, and she got this deal. And, it, and, and from, from then on for her, it's always been up and down. The monetary is never attached to the being inspired or the writing. And so I, you know, my question is, or what the thing I'm thinking about or posing here is, you know, has it always been like that for you? Has it always been <clears throat> getting signed and then getting unsigned? It doesn't have to necessarily, not, obviously not that, but in terms of the way you feel and the, and the way that kind of life has treated you or you've, you know, reacted around you and the, the result of that.
2: I think that's a great question, and it, in some ways, yes. Like, and I, I feel like only very recently, what I say has it sort of worn off in that way for me. But like, it did happen again in my story. There was a third time. So, so the Eagles got signed to DreamWorks Records, and then um, we made. We were the first. Uh, band signed to DreamWorks, and we made the most albums. We made five albums on DreamWorks, and that, and then it was at the point where uh, the music industry like hit a wall and um, started running out of money because of the internet was changing everything so rapidly, um, and everything was changing in huge ways as far as how people listen to music, and DreamWorks Records ended up going under and selling. They had to sell to um, Interscope Records. And Interscope Records looked at my catalog or my account, I guess, and uh, decided to drop me uh, because we had spent so much money because we'd made more records on DreamWorks than anyone else. We and made the crazy expensive videos and everything. We were way in the red. We had not ever made a penny profit for DreamWorks. So they, they promptly dropped us. And, and this is when I had made our double album, Blinking Lights, and I had submitted it to them. It was on their desk and they didn't even bother to listen to it. They just dropped us unceremoniously. But what was beautiful about it was they, they had, we had one more record on the contract. And they had to pay. They had to pay me to get rid of me. So I got paid like like they were putting the album out, which was fantastic because that was just free money, you know. And then um, and then we made another record deal. So this is like my what fourth time, third time, third time. And um, so then you had
0: two records ready to go.
2: Well, a double, yeah. You know. So um, it's the only time I ever the nerve to make a double album you know and, and i i do look back on it like it's either my best album or one of my best two albums you know and and it's crazy to me that they didn't even bother to listen to it but whatever and but here's the really great part was then eventually universal bought um interscope and the dreamworks catalog so i got paid twice for one album and now I'm like, basically might as well be on Interscope anyway, cause it's all on Universal. <laughs> so it was like, at the time, it was all incredibly painful for me. And I hope this can be inspiration for some younger artists too. That, like at the time you can be going through stuff that just seems unbearably hard to deal with and soul crushing. Uh, and then it turns out like this, like, oh, you had no way of knowing at the time yeah. that you're going to be paid two or three times, and this is going to turn out great, and everyone's going to look back on that album that nobody wanted, that was the loneliest feeling, because also it was the hardest record I ever made, like, really hard to make, and uh, that I can look back on it and be proud of it, you know? Like, we recently mm-hmm. reissued reissued it on vinyl, and I had to listen to it all the way through to approve the mastering, and uh, I was, like, really proud of it i was like this this is like i'm really glad i was overwhelmed by it. i could feel the feeling of how hard i worked on it and was still that part was still kind of painful to me uh, mm-hmm. but i was really ultimately just proud that i made it and somehow endured all the hardships of nobody wanting it and it mm-hmm. turning out so good for me and it's because of records like that and our earlier one, uh, Electroshock Blues, that I think are uh, why we're still around, really. And but and the, the business yeah. people, the record company people, had a hard time seeing that at the time. They, they just wanted... In fact, Interscope originally wanted to sign us uh, when DreamWorks ended up signing us, and they offered us more money, and our manager was like, go with Interscope, it's more money. And I was like, yeah, but they're when I turn in the second record they're going to just want beautiful freak part two part two of the first Mm -hmm. eels album and i Mm -hmm. did electroshock blues and interscope would have dropped me right then in 1998 but i instead took less money and signed with dreamworks much to my manager's chagrin and um when i handed in electroshock blues to dreamworks Lenny Warniker and Mo Austin, the heads of the label, sat there in front of me in, in their conference room, listened to the whole record with their heads bowed down at the desk, um, which can be an incredibly awkward experience. And then when it was over, they looked up and Mo shook my hand and said, thank you, E, it's beautiful. And that was the wow. only discussion. They didn't reject it. They put it out. And I know they knew it wasn't going to be an easy thing to sell, and it wasn't. It commercially bombed, but it's why I'm still around because I think people could hear in it that I was uh I was a serious artist, you know i didn't I wasn't going to be the kind of frivolous artist that did everything the label wanted. and these guys, Lenny and Mo at DreamWorks were known for that and that's why i wanted to sign with them they signed prince Mm -hmm. they signed hendrix they signed the kinks you know they randy newman rahili jones like they're known their whole thing was like with prince he put out five albums and you know and like billboard magazine would ask him like when's this guy ever gonna have success and they're like don't worry give him time you know he's he's Mm -hmm. a young artist he needs time Mm -hmm. to develop and they Mm -hmm. were of course right about him and so many others and the great ending to my story and all the different signings and everything was that Lenny and Mo were right about using that approach with even me because years after and not that many years after um, Interscope rejected me because you know my DreamWorks account had been left so far in the red um, one day I got a check and I said, what is this? It was from Universal once they'd owned the DreamWorks catalog. And I found out eventually it was a check because we had actually recouped all our costs of making those five albums and all the crazy expensive videos and yeah. anything else they make you pay for. And for now, for, you know, a couple decades, just about, I have been a moneymaker for Universal you know, not that they need money. They are universal. But I'm happy that, like, I actually, you know, got to make all that, and it worked, you know. And I ran into Lenny, uh, who, who went back to work at Warner Brothers after that, and I ran into him at a restaurant in my neighborhood years after the fact, and uh, I got to tell him in person, you know, you were right. You did the right thing, even with me. Like I recouped, and he like put his arm around me. And he was like, that's so great. I'm so happy to hear that. And it was a beautiful moment.
0: Amazing. I mean, only time will tell, you know, have something that is not necessarily commercially quote unquote successful. And then time tells because people listen to it and people can mm-hmm. tell that, like you say, you're a serious songwriter and it's got heart in it. It's got experience. It's, it's human connection.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people say like it takes like five years to know, you know, what a record is, really is, whatever. I would even say, like, maybe 10 years, you know, before you really know. Mm-hmm. It just takes a while for stuff to resonate. And so often, like, me or the record company try to figure out, like, what songs are the singles and all that. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's almost always wrong, you know? It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's mm-hmm. almost always you just, you know, guess at it. But the songs that end up, like, and this is on my mind particularly now because we had to pick, you know, a couple songs off of each album to be on this best of yeah. volume two that we're putting out now. Yeah, um, eels so nice, essential eels. Yeah, eels so good. A's title. Like, how lucky am I? I'm, I've been around so long. I'm putting out a volume two best of. You know, like, <laughs> geez, I can't believe I got to do a volume one. Let alone, I can't believe we we'll got to do one album. You know, but <laughs> like, but then when you I, looking at the songs that that. I, we picked for these, they, they become obvious choices after the fact. And they're very often different choices than we made, you know, before the albums came out in each case, mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you think, Oh, this song is the obvious single and then it doesn't go anywhere. And there's some like song that doesn't sound like a single at all to you initially, but it becomes like a song that like everyone plays at their wedding or, you know, it yeah. becomes like important song to, in people's lives, and and those, what's an
0: example of that? I'm thinking. I like the way this is going.
2: That is exactly one the one. That, that's the one I was just thinking of. You're right. Yeah, like that's n- a million years would not have called that a single because it's just like me and a guitar and a bass, and uh, you know it's like this jangly folk song, and mm-hmm. um, it took on a life of its own, and then it ended up in a movie or two, and. And then the next thing you know, in retrospect, oh, okay, I guess that's the single, you know? And I never would have guessed otherwise, you know? The Beatles, like, they didn't even bother to put out Here Comes the Sun as a single. And now it's, like, by far their most listened to song. And I think a big part of that is because when the lyrics of a song are a subject matter that's, like, a daily part of people's lives, it gets a lot of play. You know, I think, I think just England alone, every spring, people are, you know, repeat playing Here Comes the Sun and that <laughs> stuff like that is what leads <laughs> to its play numbers. Uh, and, and the, you know, in retrospect, I think the Beatles probably would have made it a single.
0: There are going to be some songs that you toil away at for months, longer, and tunes that you write in an afternoon and yeah. it seems like there's a, there's, there's a thing that happens with those songs that are written in, in 10 minutes, half an hour and
2: afternoon. Those ones. Yeah, become yeah, yeah. Well, again, <laughs> like in our case, I just realized we have the same thing as far as the Beatles go, as far as like currently our most popular songs, as far as plays go on, on Spotify and whatnot is uh, from one of the Shrek movies called, I need some sleep. And I yeah. think it's because, it's the same thing as like here comes the sun sleep is a daily experience for all of us Mm. and so i think it gets a lot of play just because it's part of people's day and if they're having a rough night then they're playing i need some sleep you know so my (laughs) advice to songwriters (laughs) is is just look at look at the day every hour what happens in everybody's life and write a song about all those things (laughs) brilliant
0: Hey, thank you so much for this. E. I really appreciate your time. Doing uh, this thanks, chat, man. Like.
2: It, it, it's fun. It's uh thanks for making me re-appreciate all I've been through and, uh, feeling, feeling good about it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> good to hear. I've just got one more, so- uh, one more question, sure. which is, you know, Thinking about all of this stuff, and you know, I, I guess uh, it's it's nice to think of, of like a, a kind of positive examples of this. Or you know, I, I'm forever going to be an optimist, and I think optimism is is really based, re- true optimism is based in reality, right? That's my kind of con- my thesis on it. With that in mind, what what do you think the biggest lesson that you've learned is in playing music, in having a career in music? What's been what's what's been the biggest lesson that you've received that you've experienced?
2: Gosh, that's a great question. I don't know, really. I mean, I think based on just the stuff we've been talking about today, I have to say there is no rule book, you know? Like no matter how much it seems like things are a certain way, when you're in the thick of something particularly some miserable experience trying to get somewhere with mm-hmm. your music like you really don't know what what's in your rule book it's out of your reach and all you can do is just try to make a, a leap of faith and just do whatever you can to, you know like like john lennon said whatever gets you through the night get through that Get through those dark nights however you can. Don't do anything crazy. Just hold on. Get through the tough times. And there's going to be plenty of tough times. And um, and just keep trying your best. And you mm. might be amazed because I agree with you about optimism. I'm, I'm an optimist too. Because, you know, I mean, I, I look at it like even lately I've noticed it on the Internet. Like the Internet is definitely, you know, a lot of it is a force for Uh, not good things but there's like there's also this great wave of you know sites that are just about good news and stuff Mm -hmm. like that Uh, and you see so much stuff that you wouldn't see in the regular news of like just amazing people doing amazing positive things and amazing positive things happening to unsuspecting people and um yeah i think those unsuspecting people can include uh, lowly songwriters like us
0: big time hey great stuff thank you so much e. So there he was, E on 101 Part-Time Jobs. I really appreciate his openness about his story. I mean, I guess, why wouldn't you be open? You know, I think the world's becoming a place, especially you know, in the music industry, about saying, this is how it works, this is my experience. And it's about sharing, it's about giving away that information and let it be known that it's not all behind a luscious velvet curtain. These are real people who have put in work and time and have made something amazing that we all enjoy i don't mind getting a little bit deep about that that's kind of what i'm here to do i hope you enjoyed that i hope you got value out of that i sure did thank you for being here eel so good is out now go and pick that up and i hope you enjoy this christmas i hope you got things to do i hope you can surround yourself with good people and i'll see you soon in fact on thursday with jacob from health One last thing. It doesn't come massively naturally for me to ask if you could vote for us in an awards, but podbiblemag.com are doing their monthly listener polls for podcasts. If you click onto there, You can select DIY Magazine for the best music podcast, which is another show I co-host, brilliant show, DIY Magazine, Before They Knew Better. But if you click through to the final page, you can type in 101 part-time jobs in the Oh My Pod section. So you can do that at podbiblemag.com. Thank you so much if you're able to do that.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?